0: Episode today, I am joined by a lady from Colorado in the United States of America, a lady by the name of Jen Junod. Jen, a very warm welcome to you.
1: Thank you so much, Paul, and thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Absolute pleasure. And I say absolute pleasure, listeners, because I think you're going to need to hang on to your hats for this one. You know, Jen at the end will share some contact details, which uh, I don't know, who am I to judge? But you might be deemed a little bit colourful. I don't know. That's a very (laughs) subjective assessment. Some might say a judgment. Maybe it is. And judgments are kind of going to run quite through the um, the things that people don't want to talk about. And I think that nicely, Jen, does it not, lays a platform to say, well, from your own experience, which I know yet again has been very diverse, very dark, but at the same time, very colorful. What are some of the, I mean, where do we even start? Because obviously, well, you've mentioned a few things. Listeners, I'm rambling on now. I'm going to hand over to the lady and let her start the ball rolling on this. Jen, over to you.
1: Thanks, Paul. I, and I really like the way you described it because it is a very diverse, dark and colorful background. Mm. I, have had experience with a lot of abuse, with uh, my own depression and anxiety, and to really learn how to be on my own and to dive into those three topics a bit more. And uh, as you led to later on of some of the things that I talk about of physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, those are all topics that so many of us have a hard time talking about because of the shame, as well as being able to grow out of that shame, especially when so much of it is from childhood. My background and trauma does come, uh, lasted until my early twenties. And I honestly wanted to give up on everything. Yet I was able to start surrounding myself with a different crowd of humans that invited me to self-development courses, which at the moment, I was like, this is crazy. I'm going because you're telling me I may win some money (laughs) because I am not a morning person and it was bright and early in the morning. And that really started to change the trajectory of my life.
0: Mm. Yeah. Because of the poignancy, listeners, um, of what Jen's described off air, um, I really don't know where to start with it. Um, It's not very often I'm stuck for words. I'm giving this the real deep, sensitive energy that it absolutely deserves um okay let me draw a line in the sand with this Jen. so you know you've you've mentioned like the the physical abuse uh the mental aspect um etc etc i mean everything stands in its own right you know is is this something is there almost a, and, I'm, and I feel very awkward asking this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a kind of hierarchy that says, you know, um, I don't know, mental pain is more uh, painful than um, physical pain and emotional pain? You know, almost kind of this structure. Uh, and there's a definite reason I ask this. Um Is there a hierarchy of pain or does it not quite work? But it's not that neat and tidy, is
1: it? It's definitely not that neat and tidy. And something that a lot of people have asked me, and I feel like your question really leads to, which is a great question, is there's no hierarchy to trauma. Everybody's trauma is very, very different. And there's no one wins at trauma. It's not a competition. There is somebody can be kicked out of school and from uni or from college or, um, and that can be a very, very traumatic experience. And when people, I start to talk about my story, they're like, oh, well, that's nothing compared to what you went through. And there is, trauma is trauma. Mm -hmm. It affects us all differently. Mm -hmm. We all have different experience with it. Everything that leads up to it. When we have a really great childhood, it could really, really impact us in the future when, if we end up getting a divorce or we got we were let go from our job, going through early tra- trauma really, for many of us, gives us more of a way to handle our environment and maybe able to bounce back a li- little faster because we've been through these challenging circumstances before yet back to your question, there's no necessarily hierarchy. I will say that there have been studies that show that if there's physical abuse, that uh, many, many times means that there's emotional abuse that's happening as well. And in, for my own background, my sexual abuse that's happened were from other people than those that were giving me the emotional and physical abuse. Those were mostly, um, from those that had an authority figure, uh, that were the physical and emotional abuse. And I, I will say that for me, those are very tied together where yes, emotional abuse can have, uh, much stronger and more lasting effects on us because it's not something that you can see a bruise can heal. Um, a a broken arm can heal those are not things that we really see on the outside when it's the being told that we're stupid being told that we're ugly being told that we're fat you know or the gambit of things that an abuser can say to us to tear us down to isolate us those are items that are not shown so it can for myself it showed up as people had no idea I went through these things because I was 10 times more bubbly because I was like, I just want you to like me, just like me, please like me. Mm -hmm. And so they never imagined that I went through anything. I would also try to buy my friends because I couldn't conceive how somebody would just want to be my friend because at the time I had no self-worth. I couldn't imagine somebody just wanting to be around me Because of all the emotional abuse that I went through, I was told I was unworthy. And so that really shows up in different ways to different humans as they grow up and the coping mechanisms that they had to teach themselves just to be able to get through these instances does not always help us as adults. Mm.
0: I'm going to ask yet again an extremely controversial question this time, Jen, an extremely controversial question, and it's this. There is a train of thought, and I'm not saying I agree with it uh, or not as the case may be, but there's a strong train of thought that we, we attract our experiences to teachers' lessons. From somebody that's been through the mill, what would be your response to that?
1: I do see, and thank you for asking that question. That, that is a very interesting question. And I've definitely heard that train of thought before that there is, I myself do see some truth in it. Not that I meant to go, Hey, I feel not worthy. So I'm going to go, I want these people in my life because that was definitely not the case. It was, A lot of it, unpacking it, is I never learned boundaries, so I never knew that someone was taking advantage of me because I wanted to be that people pleaser, and I just wanted to buy my friendships or do anything for my friendships because I felt unloved that attracted, you could say, people that would take advantage of me. That attracted me not necessarily understanding that dynamic in a relationship if I was being treated well, I found it boring and that if it's a boring relationship, that means that I'm not in the right relationship because there was no controversy. Mm-hmm. There was no tension. So I do see some truth in that and that train of thought because it's almost as if we don't know better. So therefore we, we attract it without meaning to you. And when I started working on myself, instead of I was a serial monogamist, like I went from relationship to relationship to relationship, because I felt like I, if I was alone, I would always be alone. I actually got married very young. I got married when I was 20 and divorced at 22. And at the moment, I honestly thought that if I did not get married, that I would end up alone for my life. And I did not deserve anything better, even though he quit every job that he had, he let, he randomly got a puppy and let it poop and pee all over the house. And I was working 80, 90 hours a week. And I became a video game addict because it was my only outlet. People didn't see what I looked like. So Mm -hmm. I was able to hide behind the wall of video games. And oddly Becoming popular in a video game actually made me feel strong enough to get that divorce to Mm. really be able to go, okay, I need to work on myself and not just put everything into others. And fast forward, let's see. I got divorced when I was 22, eight years later, I met my partner now who even when we first met, I had a hard time learning that it's okay to be loved. And I deserve that love. I actually, we dated for three months and my work sent me to Europe for, th- uh, for three months. So we were doing it long distance when we first started dating and I broke up with him because I was like, I don't understand why you're being so nice. I don't understand why you tell me I'm beautiful. I don't understand why you are there for me when I'm randomly crying about something that I don't understand why I'm crying because that's what the trauma brought. And with more self-reflection, with more self-development courses, with therapy, I asked him for his forgiveness. And if we could take it day by day, and for the first time in my life, a few days into that day by day, I was like, okay, I'm in, done, let's do this. And four years later, it's, he is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He is, I have been able to work through a lot of the trauma because he when I explode over something that I have no idea why I'm fighting about something, it takes (laughs) us a while. And I feel bad that he has to go through this yet. I'm able to work through and find, Oh, I'm not fighting with you. I'm fighting with this emotion that happened when I was 15 that Mm -hmm. happened when I was eight, that I never learned how to get through. So I do want to mention that Yes, there is some truth in that line of thinking of we attract what we've been through because it's comfortable. Yet there is, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel of working through that and finding and attracting better.
0: Yeah. A couple of things have dropped out of that, Jen. Um, One of the conversations or threads of conversations I have very consistently with people that's been through trauma is when they start to get that glimmer of light whatever it is that they've done to the extreme uh pre that breakthrough they then go to the other extreme afterwards and to the point where um i use the phrase they throw the baby out with the bathwater right i'm going to and you use the for me in my humble opinion, the right word, boundaries. Right, well, I didn't have any boundaries. Now I'm going to put so many boundaries in place, you ain't going to get anywhere near me. And it's almost kind of that polarization of one extreme to the other. Did you experience that at all?
1: I haven't exactly experienced that with boundaries, but I'll have to think of the books. There's multiple books and podcasts that I listen to that... Uh, have the experts on the shows uh, about that, as we're learning a new habit of any Mm. type of habit, we do exactly what you talked about of going from one extreme to another. Mm. Yet normally when we do that, we end up landing somewhere in the middle after we have to course correct going to the extreme. For myself, boundaries and sticking up for myself, like negotiating for a salary or work-life balance, those type of things. It didn't necessarily happen as I went one extreme to another. I ended up working with a career coach. And when I was offered my last role, I just randomly spouted Hey, you're wanting me to move to Denver. I would like a uh, moving you to cover my moving costs. And it just came out. And I was just like, what just happened? And they were like, well, we can't cover that. And I'm like, okay, then bump up my salary. And I said that and I'm like, who is talking right now? Like, honestly, I have no idea who's talking and it's, For myself, it was a lot of studying the boundaries, figuring out in the situation that I was in that I had no boundaries and how do I start having these conversations? So I would role play with my career coach. If I got an offer, what do I say? If I were to, um, if work is trying to get me to do much, what do I say? And a lot of it was that role play beforehand to be able to create those boundaries for myself because The boundaries just magically started happening. And I know that's not very normal, (laughs) but it was a lot of me knowing that I had to have them to go to uh, them starting to happen. Yeah, I do want to mention something that was really, really impactful when I worked with that career coach that showed up for me, not only in work yet in so much of my life is he had me write out a column of everything that I liked or disliked. everything I disliked about my job and then everything I liked. And then what am I not looking for in a new job? And what am I looking for in a new job? So he helped me look at all of my negatives and see where they actually aligned with my positive and then how to change all of my negatives into a positive. So I knew what to be looking for instead of what not to be looking for, because to your first train of thought um, that you mentioned of do we attract what we've been through? I kept thinking, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Like, I don't want bad culture. I don't want, you know, a crazy schedule. And so I kept attracting that in my life. And when he helped me do that of changing the mindset, I said, I really want to work in a great culture that has work-life balance. And I was able to find a job and talk about that during the interview process to go, I want work-life balance. And they were like, cool, that's something that we really offer here.
0: Mm. The other thing, just um, backtracking a bit, was around this, I want to bring in this this concept of codependency. Isn't it true, Jen, that there is so much stuff out there, uh, more so these days, about the need for us to find ourselves We'd be totally independent. We don't need a relationship. We don't need anyone. Self-love, self-forgiveness, etc., cetera, etc. Yeah, absolutely get it. Absolutely get it. However, I'm going to put a caveat on that to frame this question. And I use the metaphor of a line of dominoes. Isn't it true or not, as the case may be, that sometimes just by somebody special coming into our, our lives, loving us, caring for us, believing in us, that gives us just enough to push that first domino over. Because I question from a very deep experiential perspective of, yes, I absolutely have landed in a place of self-love and self-gratitude and self-forgiveness. And and, and I really do understand and fly the flag for that. But as I say, Jen, I put a small caveat on that, or a caveat, not necessarily a small one, say... OK. But when I look back in my life's experiences, there have been certain people in certain phases of my life that's come across, you know, put that arm around the shoulder. Uh, women folk have been extremely powerful in my life with that nurturing, that love, that compassion. Um to push that first domino over. Uh, Do you have any thoughts around that? Or, you know, can we be almost robot-like? No, I'm gonna go through this on my own and I'll come out the other side. Um, Any thoughts around any of that?
1: Great question. And uh, funny enough, this is uh, someone that taught me a lot about this is a dating coach named Matthew Hussey and he's from the UK as well. And what, to your example about boundaries, I almost, did the, what you just talked about of going from codependency to absolute independence. And one thing that really started to interest me is I have been in sales. Something about sales has always been a a role that I was really good at, even though I didn't enjoy it. It was something that I loved because I could connect to other people. I could solve their issues. And a lot of that started to make me think about, well, what's the psychology behind it? How do I really connect to humans better? And the way that I started becoming from codependent to independent is I really wanted a role that went, took me internationally. And so in 2017, my mentor at work mentioned, she's like, work is never going to send you international if you can't travel solo. And I was like, oh, that is a very valid point. So I booked a trip solo by myself to Peru for two weeks. Um, a, it, there, some of the most kind people I have ever met while traveling. And it was when I said, I have to eat in a restaurant alone if I want food. Okay. I have to talk to another person that I don't understand and doesn't understand me. So how do I connect when I don't speak Spanish? And one thing that really, really was in top of mind is how do I not be a, Uh, best way of saying it, an ignorant and rude American. Because that is something that uh, as many people probably imagine, uh, a lot of Americans, and I don't want to say all, uh, live in a little bubble where the U.S. is the only thing that happens in the world. And we have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. And it was very important to me to be curious about their culture instead of go well Americans do it this way so why don't you do it that way and that I saw other Americans do that I saw other Americans treating people very very horribly and it broke my heart and it was something that the people that were kind enough to teach me things I made friends from Brazil that were visiting and they showed me that there's so much more in the world than this little bubble that I came from. And that is where I really started to learn my independence. And going back to sales, Matthew Hussey, I came back to the States. I still needed to work on going international for work. I also still needed to be able to keep up my sales. So one thing that Matthew Hussey talks about is the fact that independent women, And independent humans in general don't always know the the psychology behind getting someone to like you, such as asking them for a favor. Can you hand me that pencil? Or I really like that watch. It's a really cool watch. A, those are great conversational starters. But B, those are ways that we start learning to open up to other humans and I'm recapping very quickly about Matthew Hussey. So I know that I'm probably skipping steps. He also talks about, well, if you're wanting someone to, you're like so many of us are okay breaking our backs to other people, yet we don't give other people that opportunity to take care of us or do something for us. So it's almost like, I get that I have to be independent. I get that I have to, you know, for myself be in control, Because it's very, very hard for me to let others be in control and trust them that, okay, why don't I ask the person I'm with, hey, can you carry my bag for me? I have too many bags right now and I'm just not balancing when I'm traveling with a travel companion that doesn't have that many bags. And that shows me slowly that they're like, yeah, that's fine, whatever, that I can start to build that trust and they're not getting upset by it. So by the time it comes to dating, that yes, I had a really hard time with being told I'm beautiful, being t- having him be there when I'm crying for no reason, that yes, I, I feel that that independence, you do have to let someone in, yet there are steps we can to take some, let someone in and still have a sense of control to start trusting them, to let them fully have control over some things. And it was a lot of following what Matthew Hussey says when originally I was doing it for sales and the psychology yet and ended up, he is a dating coach. It ended up showing up in my dating life too and just meeting random people.
0: But, you know, irrespective of the dating element, Jen, what what I'm hearing here is, um, let's put it in a wider relationship. Uh, context because relating has that kind of uh, sorry that uh, dating has that relationship with perceived romanticism Mm -hmm. now uh, for me personally I don't do that word romantic I think that when we have a an inner love of who we are we can you know we can channel that love into various capacities whether that's our love for our pets you know, our parents, our siblings, whatever it is. Um, I think for me personally, too much emphasis is put on this, you know, that old cliche, sex sells. Mm -hmm. Now, Matthew might, you know, um, kind of disagree with this because obviously he's a dating coach. But for me, it's that sort of, okay, what about us as people that connect? And when we connect, and this is kind of going right back to the top of the conversation, uh, when I said about this hierarchy and the reason that I said I would elaborate on that, Jen, and belatedly, I am, if I may, I am going to elaborate on that because, listeners, you've heard me say this quite a few times in other episodes. When I was around 16, um, I got in a fight, uh, which wasn't unusual. In fact, it was it was normal. Uh, but there was a priest called me over and it was in a public place. And he said to me, I've been watching you. And you really think you're something. Of course, at that kind of age, well, I did. And I really did think I was something. However, it was wearing a mask, Jen, because of my own very challenging upbringing and things that you've alluded to with some of the words, you know, like uh, mental cruelty, physical abuse, sexual abuse. You know, it's not a comparison, uh, a a checklist between this, but I can really empathise. Uh, we could share stories and and maybe do you know what Jen in another episode we will because there's some deep learnings and there's some truth and as you say people don't want to talk about these things they suppress them now my take upon that is personally I suppressed things for many years I hid behind the bottle I had alcohol addiction for 40 years and I hid you know I wore that mask something will give it did with me and it came in the form of suicide attempts and also breakdowns now i kind of mention all this to to then bring it sort of back full circle to to introduce a word you know i've kind of gone a little bit off uh off piste here but this word vulnerability when we've learned you know because we're in this vulnerable space like you say we're trying to buy our friends i did it um, drinking partners. I, I would drink with anyone on a bench. It didn't matter. I just craved because I was so vulnerable and insecure as a result of my wounded, my inner child, that I just wanted to feel feel wanted or not necessarily loved, but just wanted. Acknowledge I'm here, I'm breathing. Um, so, But this word vulnerability, and I know Brené Brown, um, she does a lot of work around this where she coins the phrase, our vulnerability is our strength. But that could be damn hard to accept, can't it? When you're at the bottom of the pile, looking up and you feel like you haven't got anybody in the world, let alone yourself. Any thoughts around that, Jen?
1: And and thank you for bringing that back around and continuing to share your story. It's, and to Brene Brown, one thing that limits us from vulnerability is shame. And you sharing your story. And so many, many of us, even if it's not on a public platform like this, sharing it with a friend definitely does create that vulnerability. And to your question about that, I was talking about dating. I I mentioned that I was talking about it for sales. That's what got me into it. It did lead to dating and having a very healthy relationship that I'm in now. Yet this is what really helped me create human connection on a friend level, on a just human-to-human connection, mm-hmm. not necessarily just in dating, because I had that, uh, I, I'm not sure if you would use this phrase yourself, but for me, I almost had the over-vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I would info dump on people that I got to know, and the reason I mention uh, Matthew's choruses and his work is because, yes, again, it helped me get in a very healthy relationship, yet, it helped me learn the differences between overly telling someone something because I'm so scared that they're not going to accept me for who I am unless I vomit my past, mm-hmm. that striking up these small conversations grew to wonderful conversations such as you and I talking now being able to one of my very very good friends that was recently in town she is 60 years my elder and she was a neighbor that was in town and these small conversations that I talk about, like being able to see that she had groceries. Let me help with that. Or being able to see her in passing and be like, I really like your outfit. And she offered to teach me how to cook. And she kept making us such wonderful food. <laughs> and that was able to, there are the stepping stones to be able to build that relationship with her that now many years later, We can talk about all these moments of shame that I've had and she's had that is creates that vulnerability and bond between us. Mm. And she's someone I that is 30 years my elder. She's not a romantic relationship, she's not necessarily a mother relationship either. She's my friend, Mm. and that is something that these little steps have really, really helped me with. But then also. Creating that trust over other topics, you could say, of cooking or going for a walk with someone that created that space for vulnerability. Yeah. Because I feel like for so many of us, it's hard to hold that space. Like mm. we just want to solve, 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 solve. Yeah.
0: Isn't that <laughs> and, the truth? yeah.
1: And just being able to sit there and listen mm. is a way that I've really found to ask people that as well as doing it for them. Do you want me to help problem solve? Or do you want me to listen? And just asking them that. It's a very odd question because it's it's awkward and getting used to it. Yet I've become a better friend and allowed my friends become better friends to me, letting them know because they're not mind readers
0: i um when I was talking about that situation, Jen uh, when I was about sixteen with the priest, I never actually finished it. I got so kind of engrossed and, and flew off at a few tangents. Let me come back to that for May because that does clarify why I ask you the question, as I say, right at the top of this uh, this beautiful dance that we 're having this beautiful this beautiful uh, but sensitive dance um, and it was this, so he said something to me. Um, And he said, I've been watching you and you really do think you're something. Uh, And as I say, it was, you know, kind of hiding. I was wearing a mask because I was hurting so, so badly. I hated myself with a passion. So, but he said something to me and he said, the physical part of what you're doing in life, that's easy. And and these were kind of more or less verbatim, Jenny's exact words. And I had not got a clue what he was talking about. Isn't it ironic, though, that after all these years, I've still not forgot his words. And as the years have gone by, boy, have they made sense. And his words were kind of akin, paraphrasing now, as I say, but akin to. If you imagine a triangle and this is a triangle that I've conceptualized, so I'm making simple of how he explained it. So if you've got a triangle and you chop it into four parts at the bottom, the base, you've got the physical that's the easier part the next layer up from the bottom is the mental part the second from the top is the emotional and right at the top is the s which he called the spiritual and he said to me when you've got that spiritual in your heart the rest kind of just falls into place now, like I say, as a kid of sixteen, that was extremely confused about life, angry, waging war on society. It's um, like, what is this silly old fool talking about? But like I say, I never forgot his words, and for me, I call it my SEMP model, S E M P, and I kind of, and that's why I ask you the question, Jen, at the top of this conversation around this almost this hierarchy you know, does the physical pain, and you gave the example of bruises or a broken arm, you know, they mend, Um, but does a broken heart mend, you know, I don't know if that kind of makes any sense and puts into context of your experiences. There again, is it all too neat and tidy? And
1: thank you for the explanation and those experiences when we have someone that may have never meant to make that big of an impact. They just saw it. I love those stories when in passing someone made such a great impact. And mm. I I love I I love the fact of your your triangle because yes, the physical can be the easiest. Yet I think A, it's not as neat as a triangle it's more, uh, at least in my own life, it's been more of if you scribble on a paper and it's just like a bunch of lines going in every direction possible and circles. And that I think is a bit more of my experience. Yet your triangle is what helps me detangle it mm. because my in my past, I have weighed quite a bit, uh, almost, a uh, hundred pounds more than I weigh right now. And it was something that the emotional affected the physical, the mental affected the emotional, yet there's been times where I have been spiritual. And then I realized that it's not quite been it's affected the physical and the mental because mm. of, uh, like religion and things like that. Um, and it's something that having that blueprint of your triangle, for example, of SEMP is what really, really helps me clarify where to work on things when I get too lost.
0: Mm. Yeah, just a thought. Jen, what a fascinating conversation this has been. What I'd love to do, if you're up for it, I mean, we I, I feel we've laid a real solid foundation here, but in many respects, paradoxically, we haven't even scratched the surface. There's so much more to, to dive into. And I'd like to invite you back on further episodes where we can say single out one aspect of, um, and I'm going to use the word, I, I really the energy that this world and this is by my own conditioning here uh, and my own vulnerabilities. And I've got extremely, extremely strong views around this. And the word is rape. Extremely strong views. Uh, you know, as the father of two daughters, uh, a granddaughter, that's not just about the family thing. You know, when I, I was brought up in a very, very violent um you know from a very violent background i can even understand i'm not saying i condone but i can understand crimes of passion that are basically labeled murder i can understand that i don't i'm not saying i agree i'm not judging that but one thing that for me jen is totally 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 abhorrent in every single way imaginable is somebody forcing themselves on another for sexual I mean, it is the, the ultimate in my book. Um, so I know you alluded to that off air. Maybe that's something, Jen, that we can, you know, how did you come out the other side of that would make, if you're prepared to go there again, um, you know, how did you come out the other side of that? Because for me, for people to come out the other side of that is words, words don't describe, Um You know, and I know there's other aspects of your life that uh, have been very dark in your colorful phases that we could explore if you're happy to come back on, you know, things that people don't want to talk about.
1: Yes, definitely. And to your point, um, it is a great conversation. And I come from sexual abuse within my own family for two years from the ages of eight to 10. And then when I was 17, I was raped. So I would really enjoy is not the right word, <laughs> yet I would love to talk about these things because unpacking those are so important for us to understand and get through.
0: Mm, superb. And what we'll do with those particular episodes, uh, Jen, we'll make them short, we'll make them punchy. They'll be real bang, in, you know, to use an old boxing metaphor, they'll be quick jabs, quick jabs, quick jabs. Um, because I think there's real power in, in, uh, I know there is, you know, i obviously, this is our first kind of conversation, but it's been so rich, so diverse. And I love the vulnerability, the openness, the earthiness of you and the love that clearly shines from you. So, you know, I'd love an opportunity to explore that further for the benefit of our listeners.
1: Thank you, Paul. I would love to.
0: So anyway, listeners at the top of this, beautiful I don't know if beautiful is even the right word but I'll use beautiful conversation dance between Jen and I I alluded to she had a we've called this you know things you don't want to talk about but when I invite Jen in as I'm going to now for her contact details she might have a little expletive that will just put a little twist on that title Jen over to you
1: thank you Paul it's I have a podcast called Shit You Don't Want to Talk About, and I have a passion for creating that human connection by sharing these stories of what we've gone through. We talk about racism, how to support the LGBTQ plus community, uh, gut health, how to work through these emotional traumas. And the reason we have it to talk about the elephant in the room is to change shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. And that's how you can find us on social media or online to check out the website. It's shit, the number two, talkabout.com.
0: Superb. Well, listeners, make of this beautiful dance what you will. you be the judge of it. Um, I've certainly massively been engrossed and really really and i use this word in inverted commas enjoyed it because here again that doesn't i think when we we're talking about you know people's vulnerability uh, i almost feel that is if enjoyed is a kind of misaligned word but i'm sure you take my point
1: i'll, I'll google a new word for us by the time we have our next episode
0: Absolutely. And and so there we have it, listeners, and I'm going to sign off now the way I always do by saying, remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond?